Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Jihad Kayuk, Director of the Center of Advanced Robotic and Image-Guided Surgery at Cleveland Clinic's Glickman Neurological and Kidney Institute. Today, he's here to talk to us about single-port transvesical robot-assisted radical prostatectomy. So, welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. So, maybe uh, I gave a little brief uh, introduction of your your, uh, titles here, but tell us a little bit about your role here at Cleveland Clinic. I've been at the Cleveland Clinic for the last 22 years, and the Cleveland Clinic is known as a hub for innovations. We all know that medicine keeps making advances very quick and change a lot every year. And uh, that's what we do at the clinic here, is uh, try to find what is the best way to serve our patients. And it's never enough. You know, it has to keep improving. Yeah. And I guess uh, this is a particular area. There's been a lot of change over the years. So we have a, a wide range of people who might be listening in. Can can you maybe start, we're talking about prostatectomy. Uh, give us an idea, like where we started and kind of where we've, we've where we're at now. Yes. Uh, prostate cancer is a very common cancer in men. Actually, it's the most common cancer after lung cancer. There are a variety of treatments available. One of them is surgery. Surgery 20 years ago is totally different than what we offer today. 20 years ago, it was common to give a blood transfusion. Uh, we used to select our patients. Basically, the morbidity is significant and the recovery takes time. This has changed because of the uh, minimal invasive approach we do to prostatectomy. We use the robot. And the robot go through keyhole surgery uh, to do the same efficient surgery as we used to do open, but with less collateral damage, more precision, that translated into a quicker recovery for patients. And so we started with an open procedure, then it went to laparoscopic, and then we went robotic, and, and now we're, we're really pushing the boundaries. So tell us a little bit about single port techniques. So the robotic approach, the standard way, is called multi-port approach. That means the robot have a camera and three instruments. Each of these will need a small cut, keyhole surgery, so that we can introduce these instruments into the patient. That is a precise way to do the surgery, but another emerging way is the single port. So now we have a robot that looks like a cannula one cannula requiring one small incision, and through that cannula, multiple instruments will spread inside the patients. So the one cannula goes inside the bladder, let's say, and then we spread our instruments and operate in a smaller area. The whole concept is to regionalize the surgery to where the disease is. In this case, it's the prostate, but we have many other applications. And the concept is that if you regionalize the surgery to where the disease is, you're going to have less collateral damage that also quickens the recovery of the patient. And even within the single port procedure, you've made 
innovations and you mentioned the bladder. So tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So one requirement to do robotic surgery is to create a gas bubble and you work inside that gas bubble. The standard way is to fill the entire abdomen, the inside where the bowel is and all the organs are with that gas bubble that becomes the surgical field. We regionalize that bubble into just the bladder. So now the robot cut goes from the skin straight into the bladder and the gas bubble is only in the bladder. So now my surgical field is just inside the bladder without seeing bowel, touching bowel, retracting bowel, none of this. So that by itself is an advancement. And we were able to modify the surgery to work in a small area and be precise as much as the other standard way. The difference is patients now enjoy quicker uh, recovery of urine control. The urine control takes time, usually a few days to a few weeks after the prostate is removed. But because we work from within the bladder and did not cut the attachments of the bladder to get to the prostate, we are noticing that the time to continence is much faster than the standard way. And we're very excited about that. What that means, the need of having pads, wearing pads after surgery for a few days or weeks till the urine control comes back is now reduced or eliminated in some patients. And then I guess when when we think about this procedure, are there particular patients that from a patient selection standpoint, are there concerns about whether there might be capsular involvement or seminal vesicle involvement, or, or, or is it really not matter so much even with this particular procedure? Absolutely. You know, the, the key to successful surgery is selection. Starts with appropriate selection of patients. And that's, uh, you know, very important today where we custom make our approach to every person. There is no one size fits all. So when we go through the bladder, we select patients who don't have an aggressive disease or locally advanced disease. We select patients who have disease limited to the prostate inside the capsule and away from the attachment to the bladder. By that, we can keep the uh, cancer control in an excellent way and afford uh, these patients a quick recovery and maintenance of their quality of life after surgery. And when we think about recovery times, can you compare sort of a, what someone might have as a one of the traditional laparoscopic or robotic surgeries to a single port um, surgery? How does that compare? Yes. Laparoscopic prostatectomy faded away and transitioned almost completely in the U.S. to robotic. And the standard robotic, the multi-port approach, in general requires a one night in the hospital, um, pain medicine for the first day or two, Foley catheter for one week, and three weeks of recovery time. We reduced that using the single port through the bladder to discharge same day within four hours of surgery. Typically, the Foley catheter is removed half of the time. That means three to four days after surgery. And typically, patients get their urine control immediately. That means after the catheter is removed, 
in half of the patients. The other half, within less than three weeks, they get their urine control back. Um, 90% of the patients don't take any narcotics for pain after surgery because there is no severe pain after this approach. Even recently, start doing so selectively again. Some of these procedures under epidural or spinal surgery, that means they don't need the tube through the throat and the ventilator machine. And we were able to do that because the gas bubble is limited to the bladder, not to the entire abdomen. So it does not push on the diaphragm. That means the patient can breathe comfortably on the operating table, and we give them twilight sedation with the epidural and perform the surgery. We are still investigating the uh, impact of this approach compared to the general anesthesia, the standard way. Uh, we think that it may help patients who have some cognitive impairment or respiratory problems and things that we are still defining. And I guess just to follow up patient selection, are there particular patients that this is either better or, or sort of contraindicated from a patient characteristics, comorbidities? What, what does that look like in terms of patient selection? So patients with uh, advanced prostate cancer, locally advanced prostate cancer, you know, this approach may not be the best approach because you may need to take a lot of lymph nodes. You may need a wider area of uh, surgical field. So we don't go through the limited approach of through the bladder for these patients. Also, prostates that are very large, usually, you know, 30, 40 gram prostate is what we see. I've done this transvesical approach up to a 100 gram prostate. But when it's 200, 300 gram prostate, the transvesical approach runs out of space, uh, obviously, and that will not be a good fit. Are there things like obesity or cardiovascular disease or anything that makes this um, either better or worse? We think that actually um, uh, heavy patients or uh, uh, respiratory problem will benefit from the uh, single port transvesical approach because in this approach, we keep the patient flat on the table rather than head down. We do not need gravity to pull the bowel out of the pelvis to see the prostate. And with the patient being flat, then, they, then there's no compression on the patient's lungs. So it, the, 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 we can ventilate them uh, more effectively. So the obese patients or respiratory comorbidity, we think that single port may fit them well. Also patients with a significant history of abdominal surgery. You remember, every time surgery happened, there will be scar tissue left behind. So those who've had many surgeries before, it becomes risky to go again between the bowel because you can injure a bowel. So when we go through the bladder, we avoid that entire area where the bowel and the scar is untouched, you know, away from the field. Oftentimes patients who are having surgery for their prostate cancer are concerned about sexual dysfunction. Um, how does this procedure um, impact sexual function? The sexual function, you know, evaluation is very subjective. That's why it takes time and a big number of patients to be able to give a scientific answer to your excellent question. We see that we do the same amount of percentage of nerve sparing with the single port compared to what we used to do with the multi-port. So our uh, technique, our approach is still the same in terms of uh, selection for nerve sparing, 
we think that we may offer better advantage in saving the nerves because we are more delicate. Working in a smaller area, avoid uh, um, uh, forceful retraction and pushing on tissue. So basically, you're more delicate working and a very much zoomed in approach to where you're cutting and suturing. So the expectations is that preservation of uh, sexual function will be at least the same as the multiport. We expect it to be better. That's yet to be scientifically proven. What are the gaps? I mean, this seems like a tremendous advance from making a really large incision to now having a, a one incision into the bladder. Um, what, what are the gaps? What do we need to try to improve upon and, and how are we going to get there? So experience, learning curve is important. You know, having few people doing a procedure is exciting, but really the big impact would be spreading the knowledge, training more people, having the surgery reproducible in the hands of the majority of surgeons who do this kind of surgery. That will give a big impact, um, you know, on the community at large. So that's what we are uh, now working on on how we can do simulators. Now we have a 3D printing program where we take the MRI of the prostate and we 3D print the bladder, prostate, seminal vesicle, rectum, urethra. And in difficult cases, we even uh, can do a rehearsal surgery on the 3D print because it's rubbery. We can cut it and suture it and then come do the actual surgery on the patient. So we keep trying to get our precision more. We keep trying to minimize the area around the prostate that we need to cut through. So again, regionalize the surgery to where the disease is. And then you mentioned sort of access. How accessible is this in other centers? I mean, the technology is spreading fast. Uh, so far, it's, uh, this system is provided by one company, but there are at least three other companies working on similar technologies. So, uh, you know, new innovation take time from the early adopters to the majority of uh, practice, uh, usually about two to three years. So I think that's the bottleneck at this point. And, and always the value, you know, comes from the outcomes data. So there are clinical outcomes that are being collected to see how effective are we in serving our patients and what can we improve better. So sort of in your position, not only within prostate, but overseeing robotic surgery program at Glickman, um, what else is exciting right now? What, what other things are, are, uh, are going to be uh, really pushing forward the envelope? Uh, you know, we, we, our focus in this discussion today is about the prostate, but we are doing similar work on the kidney kidney reconstructive and kidney cancer surgery. So, uh, for example, with the single port, instead of uh, making the incision close to the kidney itself in the upper abdomen, that means where there are a lot of muscles overlapping that you need to cut through, we are making incisions all the way down in the pelvis area and then get that cannula robot-like sneaking in from the pelvis all the way up to where the kidney is and do the surgery there. By that, Less muscle, less pain, quicker recovery, less hernia in an effective way. So that's just an example uh, of what we're doing. Regarding uh, beyond the robot itself, you know, we are working on uh, focal therapy, focal surgery. The question, do you need to remove the entire organ if there's a cancer in one part? 
Can you save the good part and remove only the cancerous part? So this is all exciting uh, areas that is evolving fast. And the, the advances from a technical standpoint, you know, you certainly have the robot itself, but it sounds like the instrumentation is a, is a huge component of that. Yes, innovations always work hand in hand with industry. So we push the limit, define a need, companies come and fill the need with new systems and instruments that we take to the next level and the cycle repeats itself. What are we, in, in the whole field's changing so dramatically, what with changes in imaging and PSMA imaging and what yes. is metastatic disease and things, what, within the, the department there, what's, what's the current thought on removal of primaries, even in a setting with like micrometastatic or metastatic prostate cancer? Uh, you know, definitely we were missing a lot in terms of being specific on defining who really spread and who didn't. The bone scan is so superficial. Now these PET scans are giving us, you know, the ability to, with confidence, say the disease is only in this area or not in this area. Also, the imaging in robotic surgery is changing. So now you have isotopes specific to PSA. So it lights up any place that there's a spread. So you look with the camera and you can see lymph nodes that are positive lighting up in front of you. This is new. So it's this is not yet commercial, but once it's commercial, you can see that that's going to make a big shift. We're going to start getting more aggressive in the oligometastatic prostate cancer treatment. Well, it's some pretty impressive work and I, I appreciate you sharing your insight with us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and uh, we're excited to spread the awareness in the Prostate uh, Cancer Month. To make a direct online referral to our Toxic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancerpatientreferrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.